If you, if you were new with us or you forgot where we were, we've been walking through the book of Exodus and we, we kind of skipped the first part where God saved the people out. We've talked about that before. We're kind of doing the book in pieces. And so now we've been talking about ever since the people of Israel left Egypt, when God did the miraculous work of, of leading them out of Egypt and feeding them in the desert and parting the Red Sea and giving them water to drink out of the mountain, they have come to the first stop and they're going to stop in this land of Sinai. That's the name of the place. They're the wilderness of Sinai. They're going to be at this place for a while. And so as we set up shop and as we kind of wind down our series, the first part of our series or second part of our series in Exodus, um, we stop at this big mountain. And verses 1 through 9, which Mark read, I want to read to us again, has some real significance. And we've been going about a chapter of Sunday, but we're going to stop and slow down because God shows up here. He has moved the people from a place to a new place to show them his glory. Now, I don't know about you. Have you ever moved? Has anybody ever moved before? Moving is not a great situation. However, um, you know, I'm not saying that it's to move and go to new opportunities is, is a bad thing, but you know it's a hassle, right? And not just a hassle, you got to move all your stuff. And it's amazing how much stuff you accumulate, am I right? I mean, we just got stuff on stuff on stuff at my house. So when you move, you got to cram all that stuff into a trailer and you got to move the stuff and you take it out. And then you got to start a whole new life. You got to find new friends. You got to find a new church. You got to find all this, this stuff. You got to find a new job. All that stuff is there. And so it's a difficult situation. But I would tell you this, all the years of growing up, my, my dad was in the air force. And so we moved every three or four years to a new place. Every time we did that, each place was a different experience and God moved in a different way. So sometimes it takes God having to ruffle up, to mess up your nest, okay? To mess up your, the way you have constructed your life to get you to see who he is. That's what we have here. God is moving the people out of bondage. He called them, God saw them, he loved them and cared for them. He moved them out of the bondage of Egypt and he moved them to a place and he ruffled their feathers and got them out where they're eating manna, which means bread from heaven, which means what is it? They're eating quail that show up, the water's coming from a rock and they've moved from their comfortable confines out to this wilderness of Sinai in front of a mountain. And what God is doing here is he's preparing, preparing them so that they can see him clearly. And so as we look in this passage, I want you to see this. God moves his people and ruffles their circumstances up and messes things up, oftentimes so that they can see him for who he is. And the greatest thing in your life and my life is to see and to know God. Nothing more, nothing less. And look in, look in Exodus chapter 19, verse 1, says this. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt... On that day, they came into the wilderness of Sinai. Now, most of you don't know, when you think the third new moon, you're, talking, you're thinking like one of those old Twilight books, and like, what does that even mean? And it means about three months since they left Egypt. They have been walking in the wilderness for three months. You ever used Google Maps before? Google Maps, you can find where you're going. It's taken place of my GPS, and I use that. But it has different settings of different modes of transportation for you to get from point A to point B. If you accidentally hit walking, it's going to take you 14 hours to get to Lebanon, okay? And you don't want to do that. You don't want to walk 14 hours to Lebanon, right? Because it takes 15 minutes. So then what you do on the little icon is you hit the car and you're like, oh, 20 minutes on there. Much better. Much better than the 14-hour walk. These people have been walking 2 million people. God has led for, third, for, for nine weeks, Okay. In the desert. That's what he's given us a time signature here. Like, this is a very particular book. I want you to get this about the Bible. 
the Bible, even amongst secular archaeologists, is used in Israel to help them locate things. The Bible, with all of the, the information it includes, is very helpful and speaks of it being true because it gives us a timetable from when they left Egypt to when they show up. And it's about 90 days. It's about a three-month period. And they mark it. So they walk in from one part of the wilderness to the other in verse 19. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt... On that day, they came into the wilderness of Sinai. I don't know if they have, like, when you pass into Trousdale County, you have the Trousdale County sign, which has all of our football championships on there, okay, when you pass through there. I don't know if they had a sign that says, now leaving the wilderness of sin, now entering Sinai. I don't know if that existed, okay? But they walk over into this area, okay? Verse 2, they set out from Rephidim, that's where they were before, and they came to the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. So then you got to think a campsite of about 2 million people camped out at the bottom of a mountain, okay? And there's different places where they think Mount Sinai is, but it's a desert area with a huge rock. About The, the place they think is Mount Sinai, now archaeologists think about 7,500 um, 7, feet tall. It's actually, if you want to get a perspective of the elevation of Mount Sinai, where they're going and where they're camping in front of, um, Klingman's Dome is about 6,800. Yes, I did elevation research this week. You're welcome. And so, uh, Klingman's Dome, you know, the tallest point in the smoke, he's about 6,800 feet. Okay. Pike's Peak is about 14,000 feet above sea level. That's the elevation. Mount Everest is a lot more than that, but this is a tall mountain in a desert region. This is a tall mountain. And so they come and they, they camp in this wilderness and in verse, and it says the Israel encamped before the mountain, verse three, while Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him out of the mountain saying, thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel. Now at first, that just seems like a bunch of details that kind of makes the story, rounds out the story. They were in Rephidim. God has led them. It's been 90 days or about nine, you know, nine weeks. God has moved them. Out of, out of Egypt, he's done this great work for them. He's got them to this new wilderness. They pass through the now entering Sinai sign, and they camp in front of this mountain. All these people, two million, are setting up camp. And then God calls to Moses to say, come up and meet me on this mountain, and I'm going to talk to you. Now, that, at first, that just seems like just some details. But if you go back and you look in Exodus chapter 3, Exodus chapter 3, beginning in verse 9. Exodus chapter 3 is the situation. Do you remember how God first appeared to Moses? Does anybody remember? This is the part where you can participate. Burning bush. Do you know where this burning bush was located? At the foot of the mountain of God, also known as Mount Sinai. So when God met with Moses in the wilderness, and why was Moses out there? Remember he committed murder and he ran out there and he found he found uh his wife okay um zipporah and and also he found his father-in-law jethro who became his good friend and he had kids and he was living out there and then god called him to go back to egypt so how does he call it how does god meet him in this burning bush that looked like it was burning but it wasn't being consumed and so he goes over and god speaks to him in exodus chapter 3 verse 9 through 12 do you remember was moses really excited about this job too to go get the people out of israel no he's like i don't want to do this I don't speak well. It's not my deal. But God affirms him. And look what we have in Exodus chapter 3, verse 9. And now, this is God talking. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. God is acknowledging the people's struggle. Verse 10. Come, 
I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. There's the task. Verse 11. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? In verse 12. And he said, but I will be with you. And this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. So here's the sign that God is at work. He says, I'm going to be with you. And one day you're going to see this sign. See, oftentimes in life, when we're walking the walk of faith, we want God to tell us exactly and give us a sign exactly now before we take a step in faith. Don't we? When you're facing a big decision, you're like, God, show me. And you get a little uncomfortable when you don't hear like, yes, you should buy that car. Okay. Or you're like, yes, the move is the right move. The job change is the right change. Do you ever get that? If you do, go see a neurologist because God rarely works like that. What we have here is that I'm going to be most like, I don't want to do this. This does not sound like a good idea. And God says, I will be with you. And as a sign to me, as a sign that I have been with you, one day you're going to serve me on this mountain. So the sign is to come. The faith precedes the sign, but the sign confirms that the faith was the right step. And that is often how God works. And remember, this whole book, as we look at this, is meant to give, is be examples or types for us that uh, those of us now who are walking the Christian life, that we understand and we can see these types and these examples, how we ought to live now and how we ought to walk in a way that we would not be in sin, but we would honor God with our lives. And so I want you to see this. God leads his people to himself. And he does it, we take the step of faith, but then later God, the way he does it, he usually confirms our steps of faith after the fact, after we've already taken them. Because honestly, if you're confirmed, if, the, if your ways are confirmed first, it's not faith. It's, you know what I mean? It's like, I knew this was going to happen, so I just did it. And, it was, and so that's not how God works. And so what God is doing is he's led these people to the mountain. He's led Moses to the mountain. To show them, hey, this is a this is me. I've kept my promises so far. I want you to trust me again. This is a confirmation of what all I've done. But also, I want you to see this. God is leading them to the mountain. Because you know what he's going to reveal to them at the mountain? You ever watch The Price is Right? I know that's weird. I know we're going somewhere with this. You ever watch Price is Right? It's not as good as it used to be when Bob Barker was there. You know it's the truth. Bob Barker was my homeboy, Okay. And he's not there anymore, but the show is still pretty good. And you know what you wanted to see when you were on The Price is Right? Are you aware of this? Everybody aware of this show? I'm getting some blank stares like, what are you talking about? It's been on the air for like 40 years, okay? What do you want? Do you want the washer and dryer? No. Although that's cool. I'll take that now. I'm an adult, so I like uh, appliances are cool. What do you want to see? A new car. That's what I want to see every time. Doesn't matter what kind of car. Doesn't matter if it's if it's not a great car. If you know if it's a car, you're like, yeah, I want a new car. Look at this, a new car. What is God leading His people to? Oftentimes, we replace God for other things and think the purpose of our faith and the purpose of our life is for God to lead us. Yes, we love Him, but His purpose is, is to lead us somewhere else to something that we need something greater. For example, 
I'm following God, and therefore the goal of my faith is that I have peace in my life at all times. Peace is not a bad thing, but peace is not the goal of your faith. Well, I'm going to follow God, and because I believe that, that if I do this, then I, I, I'll be a more moral, upright person in my community, and that I'll, I'll make an impact. Mm, that's too small. That's two, that's, that's two things. See, God's not leading you. He doesn't want you to follow him so that you'll be more moral. Or people look at you and be like, oh, look how pious that person is. That may be an out. That may be something good. That's a gift that comes through following him in faith. But that is not the goal. What is God leading his people to? He's leading them to a mountain so that they can see him. He's leading him, the people to himself. The goal and the purpose of our faith is not to get the benefits that God can give, peace, eternal life, any of those things. The goal, and we will get those, the goal is God himself. The goal of our faith is to get us to God himself. God is moving Moses to an experience where he sees and knows God more. He's led the people out of, out of Egypt. Why? To show he was greater than Pharaoh? So that the people would know he is God and the people would understand who God is. That, my friends, is the purpose of the Christian life. It's not for you to know peace, to know prosperity, to even know eternal life. It's that you might know God. And those things flow. The blessings flow. The, the one who blesses is the goal. The blessings are just a part of it. And so God has led the people to this mountain why? So that he could speak to them and he could show his glory. And at the end of chapter 19, he's going to come down in fire and glory and majesty and holiness. And the people are going to know who he is. And then he's going to unpack the Ten Commandments. And so his moral character can be seen fully. The goal of our faith and the goal of the gospel is that you might know God. Truly know him. Without the barrier of sin. Without being a misfit at the table to be his actual son or daughter and to know him. That is the goal of our faith. Cause if you look here, it says at the end in verse three, it says, while Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him out of the mountain saying, and then he gives these instructions for the people of Israel. Look in verse three, it says this, thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, the people of Israel. That's another way of talking about the house of Jacob is another way of talking about the people of Israel. Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Long before people were singing about being the wind beneath your wings and stuff like that, God was like, I'm like an eagle and I'm going to fly. I, as soon as I say that, you're like, I fly like an eagle. I mean, you know that hits your head, okay? But this was before that, okay? So we need to give, like, credit, okay, to those people who wrote that thing right there. Because here's the deal. He says, you yourselves, you've seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. That's a, that's a metaphorical way of saying I brought you like, a, like an eagle soaring above the fray. I brought you out of destruction and I led you to this place. Through all of the difficulties that they went through. 
being scared of Pharaoh's army. Remember, they're in, the, they're in between the sea and Pharaoh's army, the, the greatest military power of earth. God has led them. That's part of his bearing them up on eagle's wings. Oftentimes, we think of when God comes and he bears us up on eagle's wings, it's me like, I'm never going to have any struggle in my life whatsoever because you raise me up. Okay? And like, you're like, Josh Groban's song just hits you. That's what God's going to do. Let me tell you something. God never does that for his people. Ever. He delivers them, but it's never like, now it's smooth sailing, guys. Just look at every person in the Bible ever had faith in God. Was their life easy? Paul. Nope. Beaten, shipwrecked, snake bit. Mm. But you know, was he not raised up on wings like eagles and delivered? People of Israel. They left, and then they got between the rock and the hard place, and then they got in the place where we're, we're in the wilderness. We don't have anything to drink. Because first this water's bad, and what does God do? It makes the bitter water sweet. Thanks, God. Next, we don't have anything to eat. Bread falls from the sky. Quail stupidly fall on the ground so they can club them and eat them. God's working. But at first, they had to be hungry so they could see the provision. Then the next time, they were in the, another place, and there's no water anywhere. Moses strikes the rock and water comes out. God has led them through these difficult seasons so they could see him. And that is how it works. That is how the life of faith works. God brings his people to difficult situations. Part of his deliverance for you is to go through difficulty. And that is one of the reasons we have so much struggle in the Christian life. Is because we are buying a bill of goods that says if I follow him, being raised up on the wings of eagles means that I never have to be in the fray and that I'll never have a financial problem or I'll never have a family problem or I'll never have a spiritual problem and I'll never fall into sin. That is malarkey. That is not the Bible. That is just something we made up to make ourselves feel better, to fill places up and to pat ourselves on the back and say, "Mm, I feel good about that. But that is not the scriptures. The raising up on eagles takes you through the wilderness. The deliverance of God does not mean you will not go through difficulty. In fact, his way, his path is through that difficulty. And he's leading you all the time to himself. God is leading his people to himself. That is what he does. And he leads them through different ways. And so here is the cool thing about this. Verse five says this. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possessions amongst all the people for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So we see this situation. God's leading his people to himself. That's what God always does. He leads his people to himself. Oftentimes his deliverance and his raising up of us on wings like eagles, his deliverance, that's the way it's seen in this particular passage. It's usually through a difficult set of circumstances, but the goal is God. And when we get to God, he has got plans for us that far, far supersede our own. There's a whole branch of Christianity, and I maybe use that term loosely about Christianity, that is all about health, wealth, and prosperity. It's a dangerous thing. First off, it does not fit and jive with the people in the Bible who had great faith. They, almost none of them had great wealth and prosperity. There's a few that did, but most of them did not. There are none of them who had an easy time all of the time. 
everyone, even the ones that had great wealth and prosperity like King David, had some real struggles with sin and had some real difficulties in his life, especially his family life. His family life, he could have been on a daytime talk show. It would be, it, people would be like, Maury, Maury, you are not the father. That is exactly what would have been happening in David's family. Just go read it. It's a, it's a jacked up mess. But when we get to God, he has got so much plans. His plans for us are unbelievable. And they're better than any earthly thing you can have. Because that branch of Christianity, which I'm speaking of, says if you have enough faith, then God will bless you with physical health and financial prosperity. And the reason that you're not experiencing those things is because you don't have enough faith. And at best, you may be walking in sin and, and you don't, or you just don't realize you're not walking in faith. That contradicts the, the, the tenor and the move of the Bible. It's not true. It feels good. But that's not usually how God works. That's just not what he does. But what he has for us is better than a car or better than physical health. He has for us, he calls us his own. And so we see here in the book of Exodus, in verse 5, that this is the message that God... Remember, Moses goes up on the mountain, which is a confirmation of his faith. And God has given him this message to the people of Israel. And he's getting the message. In verse 5, it's a part of the message. It's very important. It says, Now therefore, if indeed you will obey my voice and keep my covenant. Now he doesn't... Notice this. This covenant means promise. It means like a legally binding promise. And he does not give all the terms. He just says, if you obey and keep the covenant, then... You'll be good. And then we go on and it says this. If you do this, you shall be my treasured possession. Treasured possession. When I was a kid, very, and I don't remember this, okay? I've been told this. So if, if you know, you can verify the story of my mom and dad. I had a pacifier. And like, I had to have one particular brand. Okay, as a kid, all right, I'm a little kid. Okay, I wasn't like eight. Okay, this was when I was a little child. All right, I just want you to be clear. He's got issues. Pray for me. Um, when, I, when I was a little kid, I had this pacifier, and I called it Pappy. Okay, that's what my mom and dad said. And I would go around looking for that thing, like, Pappy, and I would call it like it was going to come to me. And I'm like, Pappy, where are you? And and so they would look, and when I would run out of one, I was inconsolable. And I love that thing as a treasured possession. Now, my brother didn't have that. He had a pillowcase that he called Pilly. We were really, we were really good at naming things. I mean, we really were, okay? And so he would go around the house, Pilly! And it was just, it was a pillowcase that mom would put on different pillows. And he would call it. I still remember it. It was blue and dotted. And he would follow that thing around. And he loved it. It was a treasure possession. And you know what? If he didn't have that, he could not sleep. My niece had a rabbit. Not a real one, but a stuffed one. And they live in Brooklyn. And she loved this rabbit so much. And they left it on the subway. And they went riding all these subway lines to try to find that thing. I don't think it was ever found. <laughs> but they made another one. They found another one and made it dirty. And like, oh, it's back. Why am I saying that to you? Because as a child, we can see what a real treasured possession is. Oftentimes, we don't see the, a treasured possession clearly as adults because we have a lot of stuff and we're trying to 
make sure other people in our household have stuff. And so as a kid, it was just simple. And there was a treasured possession, something that you deeply cared for. And so here's something greater than physical prosperity and peace in your life now. It's knowing God and knowing him that he calls you as being a part of his people through faith in Jesus. That you are now his treasured possession. It means something that he absolutely loves. The people of Israel were were his treasured possession, obviously, because he had already set his affection on them in Abraham. And also, when he heard their cries, remember in Exodus 3, God hears their cries in oppression, and he comes to save them. And he moves, he literally moves heaven and earth to, to save them. It says, if you keep my covenant and you trust me and you follow me in verse 5, you shall be, people of Israel, my treasured possessions amongst all the people. You are a unique group who I love and I have set my affections on you. Why? Was Israel any better than any other nation? No. God just set his love and affection on them because that is the goodness and greatness of God. And then it doesn't end there. So that'd be great enough to be called treasured possession. If some of you got a text from your husband, wife, boyfriend, or girlfriend, and you're my treasured possession, you'd be like, oh, it's not even Valentine's Day. How sweet is that? I mean, that's, that's some serious language right there, right? If you're in here and you're a teenager, do not text that to your boyfriend or girlfriend now because you will not date them when you get to 20 years old. Guaranteed. Almost guaranteed, okay? So don't do that. You're my treasured possession. Gag. Ah, Okay, you're 14. No. But treasured possession here, God's, you're more, there's something greater. So look in verse 5. You're my treasured possession. That's That's enough. But this is greater. Do my treasured possession amongst all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. And, verse 6, you shall be a kingdom of priests. What's a kingdom? Kingdom is a realm, a group, that is ruled over by a king. Obviously, the king is God. And this, not only this kingdom, it's a kingdom of priests. What do priests do? Priests relate to God and to others. They are go-betweens. They are those that have a relationship and have access to God, and they help other people have a relationship and access to God. The people of Israel, though often they would miss it, were to be to the world those who could have access to God and help other people have access to God. And so not only are, are the people of God, because he set his affections on them, are, not only are they this treasured possession, but now they have this unique role they're part of this kingdom and they're priests every one of them is a priest and they're they're a go-between they have access to god and they help other people have access to god and israel whenever they would go places they weren't as good as the church is now because now we have the real clear mandate of jesus to go to every nation and make disciples and call everybody to come to him okay but israel there was a there's they had the same thing because they would get to a place and, and they, remember Rahab, the prostitute in the story that we have, she is not a part of the people of Israel. She's a prostitute. And because she protects the spies, when they go into the land of Canaan, you know what happens? She gets brought into the people of God and then ends up in the lineage of Jesus, like his family tree. So the family tree of the Messiah, in case you didn't catch this, has a prostitute in it. That is God's setting his affection on people and making them a kingdom of priests. And this is going to be fully realized 
in the New Testament church, which I'm going to show you in a second, but I want to show you one other thing. Not only when you come to God, do you get something better than just stuff and health. God's leading you to himself. That's his goal. That's a point and purpose of our faith. But we also see this. You are not only just a kingdom of priests in verse six, you are a holy nation. Nation, obviously a group of people, some type of realm, people related to one another, nation, holy, which means set apart, different. God is described as holy, and so we get to be set apart different like his nation. So I want you to get this. There is something better than health and prosperity that, that there are some branches of Christianity are teaching. The goal of our faith is, God, and God's leading us through difficult situations, he's delivering us. The goal of our faith is not all the stuff that God can give us, the blessings. It's actually that we might know God. And once we realize that, then we realize that God has something better for us than all the blessings that he could ever give. And that's the fact that we are now, if we come to in, come by faith to Jesus, we are now part of the people of God, and we are considered to be a treasured, loved possession We are a kingdom of priests. Every one of us can relate to God and other people and bring them to God. And we are a holy nation set apart. And he had all the world to pick from. And he decided in his goodness to lay his affections on a certain group of people. That's huge. And God makes ordinary people into his own possessions and kingdom of priests and a holy nation by faith in Jesus. Now, why, Matt, you're making a jump. I see, we're talking, I know, we, I know the Old Testament and New Testament, they relate to one another. I can see it. This exact passage gets quoted in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. And you know what, first, in 1 Peter, you know what it says? He's speaking to the people of God and he's calling them, don't sin, but remember who you are. Remember your identity of that, those who've been called in Christ, those who have faith in Christ. This is your identity. 1 Peter chapter 2, 9 and 10 says this, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. A holy nation. Does that sound familiar? A people of his own possession. Do you think he's quoting that? Yes, he is. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And here's the cool thing. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so the idea is that you were once not a people, and now you are a people because you have received mercy. Well, where does mercy come from? Peter is talking in context about the finished work of Jesus. God has always been about taking his people out, calling him as their called possessions, calling them to a unique a unique place where they are used by God to be a light to the nations, to be priests, to go between, have access to God and access to people, to lead them to God, and a set-apart people. God has always called his people that, but he fully calls his people to that in Jesus. By faith in Jesus Christ, we enter into a family where we are God. God, he is our father. He loves us. We are his treasured possession. Just like a little, just like a kid who loves that thing, that, that unadulterated true love of, of just, I love this possession that I have. That's who we are in, in Christ. Not only that, but we are His people for a mission to make Him known. Not just me, not just not just you, but all of us in here. We are all called to be priests, to be a go between between God and man, to call them to this mercy, and also we are a unique holy nation loved by God and and have been received by mercy. 
This is the story that God's people are his love possession and he's called us out for good works and to be a light to the nations. That is who God is. And that is better than any earthly health or any earthly thing you can offer. That's what makes the other gospel, the prosperity gospel, what makes it weak and ineffective because God is greater than the world's best thing. I want you to see this finally. Now this is all, this is verse 6. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So all of that was just said. I'm hoping he wrote it down. We know in Exodus 20 when he gets the Ten Commandments that God has to write them on stone tablets. So, you know, that's the one way to take notes. I'm thankful I have an iPhone now with a notes app. Okay, that's a lot easier than chisel and hammer. And um, sorry about nobody that didn't. Thank you for laughing at that. Uh, that, that there is there's rock stuff. Anyway, we're moving on. Verse 7. So Moses came and he called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. And the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. Now he says, I'm going to give you a covenant, which is a contract. Okay. And all of the contract is not spelled out. The good parts of it, I'll call you my chosen people, my royal possession, obedience is part of it. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call you a holy nation, a kingdom of priests. That's there. But the whole of the covenant is not fully expressed yet. It actually happens from this point forward in Exodus chapter 20 where he gives the Ten Commandments going forward. If you've ever used, if you ever have got downloaded a program or are using like iTunes or something like that, you've probably seen this. There is a user agreement, right? How long is that user agreement? Forever. They have an option on all those user agreements that you could print it up. First off, if you got time to print up and read a user agreement, man, I want to hang out with you because you're using your time wisely, okay? Because, I mean, that's a lot. So you see it's like page after page, but usually what do you do? Except, okay? It could be saying, like, they can use my picture to, uh, you know, <laughs> support bad things. And you're like, I don't care. I just want to use your program. Accept it. All right? So God gives the people this covenant before it's laid out. But... But they believe it. It's not like signing a user agreement where like, okay, I just need to get past this to use this. They have already seen God's faithfulness and goodness and his redemption. And God's saying, I want you to trust me and then, and agree. And I'll lay it out later, but you need to trust my character that whatever I lay out is not going to be more than you can handle. And if it is more than you can handle, I'll give you the strength to do it. And also, if you screw up, which we see all the time and time again, I'll give you the grace to get back up, the mercy and the forgiveness. And so the people say, they click the yes on the user agreement. All that the Lord had said, we will do. And I want to make this point to you. For faith to be faith, we trust in God's saving acts, what he's done. And we believe when God saves his people, it's a demonstration of his character. He's showing who he is by his actions. Consequently, we follow him in faith, not knowing where the destination is necessarily. Maybe kind of out there, we believe his promises. 
We follow him by faith wherever he leads, even though wherever he, we follow him not just where he leads, but wherever he brings us and whatever he brings us through. The faith commitment, when we say we're going to follow him and agree to come to him on his terms, which is the only way you can come to God is on his terms. We trust his saving acts that, which demonstrate his character. And then we just say, God, your will, your way, no matter what, because I believe you're good, no matter what you bring me through, no matter what you bring into my life. And I want to show you that that's a New Testament principle too, because we got John three sixteen, right? You've heard, you heard that one before? For God so loved the world that he gave a saving act, his one and only son, that whoever believes in him and that finished work will not perish but have eternal life. So that is what God has done. That is ultimately the provision that he has made for us. All the Old Testament was pointing to this this provisional sacrifice in Jesus, right? Then we see in Mark 8, 34, okay? So there's this offer. You believe on what Christ has done. You will have eternal life. And then we see in Mark 8, chapter uh, Mark 8, Jesus, this one who died, is speaking to the people. And he says, and he called the crowd to him with his disciples. And he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And basically, if you don't do this, you have no place with him. And so here's the deal. God's saying, you come and you believe on me and my finished work in Christ and you will have eternal life. But also that belief means you follow me and you're going to take up your cross and you're going to follow me wherever I go. So here's what faith is. Faith is believing in God's finished work, his saving acts believing that that demonstrates his character and his goodness and that he's not going to lie to us and that he does care and he does love us. And then from that point, we walk in faith through all sorts of hills and valleys and difficulties and dangers, knowing that he's delivering us, raising us up on wings like eagles. But everything he's bringing in our lives is from him, through him, to him. And that's how faith is give you just this real just crystal clear example when we follow him by faith like i i, I can i can tell you this remember i've had cancer <laughs> which came out of nowhere when i got it i had an overwhelming sense of peace that this was god in the midst of it in the tumor he wasn't in the tumor, but he had brought the tumor. And I knew at that point, no matter what he brought, and I didn't want to, you know, they, and it doesn't look like I'm going to die. I mean, I'm going to die eventually, but it doesn't look like I'm going to die for that. But I'm sitting in the hospital, and they, I come out of the colonoscopy. That's more information than you want to know. And they tell me I got that. They tell me that I got cancer. And I look at her, and I said, I'm going to fight this thing. I love these people. I got people to pastor, and I got my family to pastor. I want to love them. But at the same time, I was overcome with a sense of peace. Like, this is God. He's here. He's here. Where does that come from? It comes from the fact that in the past, he has saved me when I didn't deserve it. He sought me out when I saw everything else but him. And when I had unbelief in my life, he overcame that unbelief. And he showed me in the gospel how much he cares for me and how much his glory is what matters in my life. 
I've also been able to see through reading the scriptures over these years and through the people that have been able to pour in my life and being your pastor over these years and reading the Bible and helping you guys read and understand the Bible, I've come to understand that when God's at work, he brings people through difficult situations on purpose for his glory. And his glory is what matters. That's the truth. And also this, if I'm with him, that's what my goal, the goal of my faith was. And whether I'm in the body or I'm absent from the body, we need a biblical example, I'm with Christ. And then also if he's led me to this place, he's going to provide for me and my family. Do you know why? Because he's the one leading. And it looks like this. It does not look like God is good when the, when the result is a tumor. But he is for people who know that the goal is not health and prosperity, but it's God. And that I am a treasured possession. I am a holy nation. And if I stay on the earth, it's for his glory. And if I leave the earth, it is for his glory and for my good. And I want you just to see that that's one of many examples of how he works and how he is better than health and wealth. And that's how we walk by faith. I see your saving work, God. I see it in the past. I can't see it now. The road is dark and rough and steep. And I cannot see the light. But I know the light is there. Why? Because you've demonstrated your character for me. That while I was a yet sinner, while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. And that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And this, that I am his treasured possession. I don't feel treasured right now. I feel like those shoes you work in the yard in. Covered in grime, beat to death, worn thin, full of holes. Not holy, but like got holes in me. Held together. By some unknown way. Going in the muck and the mire. But you tell me I'm a treasured possession. Not only that. That you are going to use my circumstances and my gifting and who I am. To be a priest to other people to point you to God. And and that I am a holy nation. That you set me apart for this. That is way better than this happened to me because I don't have enough faith. This is true. This is real. This is a dynamic love from God. And it does not save us from bad stuff. But it reminds us who we are in it. And that God is better. I want you to see this. And the reason that Tom and I, as we were praying through, coming, walking through the book of Exodus is this. All of us are on a journey of faith. We are on a journey of faith as a church. We're on a journey individually. We are taking steps of faith. We are believing and we're working towards this new building, this new place, believing God's got a plan for us. Do we have it all laid out? No. We spent a long time raising the floor this week and we're like, oh no, this is going to work. Okay, it did. We don't see how it's all planned out. Do we see the finished product? We can see it by faith, but we cannot see it in person yet. But why are we doing it? Because in the past, we've seen God come through. Haven't we seen God come through here? 
Haven't we seen God do great things at Journey in Lebanon that led to us being here in Hartsville? And hadn't God done great things for letting this place survive when this was a movie theater? Well, that had been converted to church and there used to be all like this, this floor used to go down and with the bathrooms, you had to get to the bathrooms through which where that, uh, uh, thermostat is right over there. And, and then all the chairs used to make the sound when you get, and so God brought, brought us through that. And then when you guys lost your first pastor, okay, what happened? Did you fold? Did you go away? No. God used two guys and, and the deacons here and, and, and many of you by faith to keep this thing afloat. And now several years later, when we didn't think it was, when we didn't see it, God provided a plan for us. Is it easy? No, but it's a way. God has been good to this church. God has been here. He, the road has not been easy and it won't be, but God has been with us. He's been with you in your life too. And I want you to see that. I want you to know this is better than, this is better than the easy stuff. This is true. And we want you to see that as we walk the, the road of faith, if you are walking in faith, he is with you. And his promises are so good. It's so much better. And at the end, I don't know what you're going to leave the earth with, but you're going to have him. That's true. You know why? Is it because you hold on to him? Because he's good. And he set his affection on you. And he's like, I love Rosalie. I love Ellen. Love Roy. Love Walter. I love Mark. I, they're my treasured possession. They're my people. I'm not going to let them down. That's who our God is. I want us to pray. And I want us to share communion together today. And as we share communion... I want us to think about all the goodness that God has done, even in your difficult situations. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, as we invite the communion team forward to pass out communion, we are in awe of your love for us, that you would call us your treasured possession, that you would call us, Lord, a holy nation, a people for your own possession. We pray as we take communion um, in just a few moments that we would recognize the finished work of Jesus. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. As communion team passes out communion, I invite you, if you're a believer, to take it with us. But take a few moments and in silent prayer, think through your life and give God glory for all the things and the way he's been with you.
on the night that Jesus was betrayed in the upper room with his disciples, when he took bread and he broke, he said, this is my body broken for you. Take it and eat. Like manner, after supper, he took the cup. So this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Take it and drink. As often as we do this, we declare the Lord's death until he comes. Let's stand, and we're going to be dismissed with this good news. Benediction means blessing. How much more blessed could we be than to have these promises to be true for us? But you, people of God, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? That you might proclaim the excellencies of him who calls you out of darkness into marvelous light. Good news. Walk in it. If you want to come check our progress, give me five minutes. I'll be down there. Bless you in the name of Jesus. You're dismissed.